It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to the Football Social Daily. It is a morning of mixed emotions for England supporters. The adventure in Qatar is over for Gareth Southgate's side. Last night's 2-1 defeat puts them back on the plane home at the quarter-final stage. Penalty heartbreak was once again on the menu for England as it was Harry Kane that fired into the Alcor sky. We'll be delving into a fascinating night at the Albite Stadium as attention now turns to England's bright future at Euro 2024. Will Gareth Southgate still be in charge? That is the key conundrum on the horizon for England. That's all to come in part one of today's show. And then in part two, we'll be swapping across to the teams that did make it into the semis. France's reward for beating England is a showdown with Morocco and 2018 finalists Croatia take on Lionel Messi and Argentina. So a busy show to come. I'm Fergal Brennan. On Sunday duty, we have Rob Blanchett from the Manchester United podcast, The Masterclass. Mixed emotions this morning, Rob? Yes, a little bit. Um, one of those things, isn't it, when you've seen England over so many years, over decades, being an older gentleman, you've uh, you've seen this before and you've felt it before. So England going out of a tournament is nothing really of a surprise. Uh, we also have the Stretford Paddocks, Jay Motti. Jay, I'd never call you an older gentleman, but how are you feeling on a Sunday morning? Um, it's weird, right? Because I know this sounds a bit odd, but my sense is almost one of relief this morning that... The fact that I'm disappointed England went out, but the fact that it's not a United player who's being blamed for it all, or I'm not going to have to sort of see a load of abuse, or not, hopefully not much abuse anyway, towards the like of, of, of Marcus Rashford or whoever, like we did in the Euros. So, yeah, it's disappointing, but uh, yeah, I'm just relieved that it's not going to be all about how Manchester United let us down, which seems to be a narrative we hear in this country quite a lot. Yeah, so it was a difficult night for England, and Jay's absolutely right, Rob, in terms of some of the things that we had to hear and see and experience after the European Championships finals were just vile. Um, I think we all hope that that doesn't happen 
this time round because it is just disgusting, disgraceful and has no place. As, as facile as this sentence sounds, it has no place in football, but it really does not have any place in football. Um, looking back on the game last night, a huge night for England, ultimately ending in disappointment. Taylor the tape being Harry Kane's penalties, Aurelien many and Olivier Giroud with the goals for France. One penalty in the back of the net for Harry Kane and one blazed over the top. What's your take on it? At full time, there's just this rush of information and news and emotions when the final whistle is blown. You've had 12 or so hours to decompress now. What was your take on the game itself? I actually think England did a fairly good job on the night. You know, I think Southgate style is very conservative. You you almost know what you're going to see from England, don't you? No matter which team he picks, and he always picks the same team. So I think England kind of did what they needed to do, but I think tactically that's where they let themselves down at the end of the day. You know, they, they are just way too conservative. And I think when you look at France taking their opportunities, it was one of those matches, I think, again, when Southgate's come away and he's already said, you know, he's probably the best they've played against one of the major nations. Um, that is true, but you've got to look at why England fail at these kind of not final hurdles, but last night really was kind of England's World Cup against the big side, wasn't it? If you get through this, you're you're really in it to win it. Um, so overall, I think football-wise, disappointing. And obviously England have now got to decide what they do for the next two years. But again, I think when you look at the moment with Harry Kane blazing the ball over the bar, it reminded me of Gary Lineker missing a penalty to get the record years ago. And that must have been playing on his thought in the second penalty to think, right, I'm about to become England's all-time top scorer. And just that little seed of doubt goes into your brain and you saw what happened and it went all very Chris Waddle. Jay, I'm going to switch across to you for a second, but I just want to take you up on that, Rob. This thing of breaking the England all-time goal-scoring record, his first penalty drew him level with Wayne Rooney. The expectation with Harry Kane is that he relishes those moments because England fans have him in this position of he's the go-to guy, whether it be a penalty, whether it be an important goal or a key moment. And he himself wants those moments. He wants to carry those moments on his back, arguably more than, than Rooney ever did. And that was his moment last night. And I understand that the pressure can just crack you in those moments. But he wants that. He didn't step up to the penalty and look nervous. Or when he when he put the ball down, I thought to myself, "This is a goal. This is an equaliser. We're going to extra time and penalties." That's not to say Harry Kane can't miss a penalty, but he wants those situations. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I when Harry Kane stepped up, I thought for the second penalty, I thought he'll score this. I did. I was absolutely adamant. We were doing a watch along on it, and I was like, "He'll bury this." I didn't. I didn't have any qualms. He's taken penalties in the World Cup before. He, t- he took a penalty thirty minutes early and buried it. And I think you know, there's an element of yeah, he does. You're right. He does want those situations. He does revel in it. And he is, his record for penalties is very, very good, especially in an England shirt. So I was stunned when he missed it. I really was. Um, and I think that, you know, you can't be too hard on Harry Kane. I think he's had a very good tournament. I thought he played well and he sort of adapted his game a little bit or had a different role in this England side where he wasn't just a goal scorer. We saw him being a bit more of a creator as well um, in the earlier games, which worked well. So, yeah, I, I was shocked and, and, you know, I don't think Harry Kane deserves much criticism. You know, yes, as, as you should hit the target on a penalty, but listen, he's done enough during this tournament to be praised. I don't think, from what I gather as well, I don't think he's being judged too harshly on it. And we all know, I think Rooney tweeted it himself that, 
Harry Kane is going to break his record. Of course, he's going to play lots more times for England. He's going to get at least one more goal. It's just a shame for him and a shame for England that that goal couldn't come in in the quarterfinal and, and such a massive moment. And I think if he had scored that, I think probably England go on and win. But I'm not being too harsh on Harry Kane. And I think while Southgate's done a good job, there was some baffling substitutions for me against France. I was really just... Yeah, just, I just didn't get, couldn't get my head around some of the, the choices that he made when it came to the substitutions. I'm going to come on to the substitutions in a second, but Jay, I'm going to stick, stick with you and then I'm going to go to Rob uh, about the substitutions because I want to talk about this post-game analysis. I'm just reading through some bits this morning, Jimmy Carragher's column in the, tel- in the Telegraph, some stuff from Sky and BBC and, and, and various bits that I've seen on, online on social media. This idea that England weren't brave enough now, I look at this team that started, as you say, we we know the team that Gareth Southgate is going to pick. And there's always controversy and disagreement when certain players are not playing. I think for the way that he wants to play, that was the best eleven to go with last night. The substitution, as I say, we'll touch on in a second. I think the old braveness, look, whatever, is a bit of an excuse. I don't think he could have been braver against the defending champions. I think the players that were on the pitch executed what he wanted them to do for the majority of the game. When the tide was turning for England, they did look to turn the screw. They won a penalty. They could have had three penalties potentially. Hugo Lloris made a number of saves. They had France under real pressure. I don't think a lack of bravery was an issue last night. I just think France were better, not by a long stretch. This wasn't a 3-4-5-0 whooping. But France are the defending champions with world-class players throughout the team. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Listen, I saw that team. It wasn't, wasn't the team I would have picked, but I get it. Everyone's got an opinion on England and it wasn't a, a completely baffling team to me. I understood what Southgate was thinking. And I think for, for long periods of that game, England played well. And it, it, it was almost working and... You know, you could see what he was trying to do and you could see you have to respect France. This isn't a, a no disrespect to the other teams, but this isn't a Wales or an Iran or a Senegal. This is a team that, are, you know, one of the favourites, if not the favourites, to win the World Cup. They're the defending champions for a reason. And they've got you know, world-class players all over the pitch. So I understood that. I just felt that there were so many decisions he made, which for me, and I know you want to touch on the substitutions later, but it's sort of pertinent to what we're talking about. The start 11 isn't the issue for me. It's when you needed to make that change. The changes he made, I just I couldn't get my head around. Like, I thought Saka was was playing really well. I didn't. I don't think he got a knock. I don't understand why he came off. Sterling has been on. I think he's been on two long all flights in the last five days, whatever. Barely trained, and he brings him on ahead of someone like Marcus Rashford, who has trained all week and who has been on fire in this tournament and been one of England's best players. And he got what six minutes was it? Jack Grealish got ninety seconds. I mean, that to me, it doesn't make much sense. I just don't... And also, just on the, the Rashford thing, I know I keep making this about Marcus Rashford, but it's a player I watch week in, week out. He absolutely destroyed Upper Meccano when we played, United played Leipzig. He got a hat-trick against him and he just he had him on toast. And it's like, the, these little things, and I just think, it just didn't make sense. And I felt sorry for Sterling because he's obviously been through all this emotional turmoil. He's had his house burgled, which is just horrific. He's, you know, he obviously wants to play. A player always wants to play. In any situation, a player will always tell you they're ready to play, they want to play. Sometimes a player needs protecting from himself. You have to say, this isn't the right time for you. You know, let's get through this game. You have more training. I'll, you know, you're my guy in the semi or you'll get minutes there or whatever. And to throw him on, I just felt it was a little bit unfair on him and unfair on, on other players who probably deserved the nod ahead of him because it just didn't make much sense to me. 
those changes, I know Mason Mount helped win the penalty, but yeah, I was just a little bit baffled by his in-game management. And I think with Southgate, the big games, the game against Croatia in the last World Cup, the game against Italy in the Euros, it's sometimes his in-game management, I think, that lets him down. I think picking his starting eleven, I might not always agree with it, but I understand it. But when it comes to making a change, when it comes to adapting, he's not always that guy. What was your take on this, Rob? Because there were changes made arguably too late and particularly in the example of, of Grealish, just not enough time to do anything. Grealish got about a minute, Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling got 12 minutes and, and Rashford, as Jay said, got six minutes off the bench. Looking at England's stats from previous games in Qatar, other than the Wales game and the Iran match when England were absolutely cruising, Calvin Phillips is the only player to get an assist or a goal for England off the bench. So, subs whenever they've been made, haven't really made a massive impact in Qatar for England. Did that have a role in Southgate's thinking that maybe he's not necessarily bringing these players on to do something to win the game? He's bringing them on to be fresh legs with the idea that there might be an equaliser, there might be extra time and there might be penalties to come. Well, I think subjectively, I think England were the better team on the night. I really do. And that's taking my kind of any supporters hat off or English hat off. And and just looking at the football and the stats itself, I think England did the job, what they needed to do. I think when we talk about bravery, it's not what we call this kind of lion heart bravery, you know, pounding your chest. It's about bravery to make the correct in-game decisions from the bench and obviously the players as well interpreting that. So I agree with what you said at the start there about how how they did Southgate's tactics. They they took them on board and they kind of got to where they wanted to be. But I think the real issue here is the bravery to kind of change the game with a, with a choice. And that's where I think that Gareth Southgate is massively lacking as a manager. So I agree. I think the substitutes were horrendous. Why are you bringing on Raheem Sterling, who's not been with the camp, who's going through all sorts of stuff, and taking off your best player on the night, who was absolutely Saka? That makes no sense at all. You know, you give Marcus Rashford a few minutes to try and change the game when he's arguably been your best goal scorer. We said at the top there again, Harry Kane's had a good tournament. I'd say, has he? He's had a, a good tournament, a decent one. But again, there's always a reliance with Southgate on the same old players. And I think that's where England are held back. And I think against France, you've got a team that are savvy, that are experienced, that know what they're doing. But there's two or three in that French starting eleven that would not get an England starting eleven, And I think there's a kind of narrative there about who is better. It doesn't matter who's better at the end of the day. It's about who makes the right choices. And I think Gareth Southgate now, it's a, it's a, it's a big crossroads for him because can he take England towards a championship? I must admit, my, my thoughts on it is I'm not quite sure. Well, before we go on to Southgate, Rob, I just want to flick back again. This, I agree with you. Bravery is is a word that just gets thrown around, and there's different types of bravery. There's jumping into tackles and making silly decisions, and then there's making sensible, cool-headed decisions of being brave enough to back your instincts and and your coaching and tactical judgment. But I just think this is a an excuse. I do. I honestly think it is. I don't think any France fan is sitting this morning and saying the reason that we won is because England were not brave enough. Sometimes I'm not going to say it's just a case of, you know, lay down your sword, we were beaten by the better team. France were excellent because they're an excellent team. Didier Deschamps made one sub and that was to give Dembele a rest because he, he had a bit of cramp and, and bring on Kingsley Coman. They had similar stats in the majority of areas. England lost last night because France were a bit better and Harry Kane missed a penalty. It's OK. I'm not saying that you're 
thinking that. But I, this this bravery, if Southgate should have, would have, could have, should have, would have, could have. I don't. I agree. The changes could have been made earlier, and there could have been better changes. But I still think France would have won. Yeah, I think, look, we're obsessed with tub thumping in this country, aren't we? We really are. It's all about, you know, I get knocked down, I get up again. That's how it is. And that's, that's, that, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, Come on, that's England it, in a nutshell, isn't it? And, and, and I think, you know, I, I look at football in terms of bravery with about decision making. I, I really don't think it's about running harder or being stronger in the tackle or fighting and all of that stuff. But you do get that at club level, like, you know, from a Manchester United perspective, we've looked at our team for 10 years and you could say that we've had huge tactical deficiencies in that time but you could also say the team just have not been brave enough to do the job so I look at England and I don't think any of the players will come away and think oh you know we just didn't give what we needed to give but I think when you look at the real weakness of this England setup so I'm not going to say the team I think it's the manager and I think that he is not a brave manager I don't think he'd get a job in the Premier League and I think when you look at that at the 20 managers in the top flight in England if that guy wouldn't actually manage one of those teams again subjective opinion should he really be the England manager? And I think you see that against France last night where, where his decisions in that last 20 minutes were not of a manager wanting to win a game. He was trying to conserve. And yes, if Harry Kane scores his penalty, you go probably to extra time, you might go win the game. But again, I just think some of the in-game decisions all through the tournament, not just tonight, I think they've been suspects. And I think England do need a manager who's just more tactically aware and can change a game from the bench. So... What happens next with Gareth Southgate, Jay? His contract is up in December 2024. That would bring him beyond Euro 2024. Qualifying for the European Championships kicks off in March. Italy away in Naples is actually England's first game in a kind of strange setup. Does he stay on? He, he said after the game last night, basically, don't ask me this type of question now. I need to go away. I need to reflect. And, and nobody would begrudge him that on the back of how it went down last night. But... He has a decision to make. The FA have a decision to make. Three tournaments that, on merit, have been better than any England man for uh, any England manager, ever. Um, does he stay? Do you think the the outside pressure might now start to spin? This idea that the grass is greener. Just looking at some of the odds, Maurizio Pochettino, Thomas Tuchel, as it stands, are the two current favourites to take over, but not particularly close. Four to one and five to one. Does Gareth Southgate stay in charge for Euro twenty twenty four? I think it's, it's his choice. I think the FA would keep him on. I do. I think that if he wanted to stay, I think he'll be able to stay. I just don't know if he'll, if he'll, if he'll want to. I'm not sure about that, obviously. Obviously, he knows that. For me, if you look at someone like, for example, Thomas Tuchel, or even Pochettino, I'm not Pochettino's biggest fan, but they are better managers than, than Gareth Southgate. They just are. Like, you know, I don't think Gareth Southgate would, 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 would win the Champions League. I don't think he'd be able to manage at the levels that Pochettino's managed at. But the, the question is, you know, Rob was talking now about sort of the tub thumping and there's a little bit of jingoism that comes into it with, with the FA and stuff and, and England. It's like, will they have a German managing the, the England side? I don't care. I don't care what nationality the England manager is. But would, would the FA go for that? Would, or would they go for an Argentinian managing the England side? Again, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I could not care less. But will the FA do that? And I don't know if they would, unless the sort of the, the hands are forced slightly if Gareth Southgate walks away. And you look at the other options, because in terms of English managers, you know, the, the two sort of ones in the Premier League that stand out are Graham Potter and, um, and Eddie Howe. And are either of them going to leave the clubs anytime soon when they've just, they've just gone there? I doubt it. So I think, you know, if Southgate wants to carry on managing England, he can do. My, my sort of reservation with Southgate is I do feel he has a ceiling. I just feel that to get over the line in these, in these tournaments, to get past 
the, the you know the big teams you need to be able to just have that little bit of nous about you tactically and he has done well on paper and he has done well you know physically not just on paper but getting to a final getting to a semi-final I'm old enough to remember times when England didn't even qualify or when England would get knocked out by the likes of you know Iceland or whatever in a, in a major tournament so I get that you know this is a quite a, a successful period a very successful period in the context of what's gone on before for England but if you look at every time we've gone out of a tournament for me the game's sort of been there to be won you know Croatia four years ago I mentioned earlier Italy in the Euros and against France I still feel that that you know, a manager could have got something there, a manager with a bit more experience or a bit more nous about him. But I like Southgate as a person. I think he's handled the press well. I think he's built a, a, a likeable squad, which almost goes under the radar because I remember when the England camp or the England squad, there was all sorts of, you know, not infighting, but it seemed like they were very fractured. You couldn't really get behind him. He has created a sort of sense of community with that camp. And I think that's an underrated part of his game. I just don't know if he's got that elite coaching ability to get past you know, a Deschamps or whoever, or a France or whatever. So, yeah, I think he'll have to make that decision. And if if Southgate stays on, I'm not like the biggest England fan. It's not like, it, you know, it's, it's the most important part of my life. But I won't be fuming. I won't be like, oh, my God, why is he staying on? Um, I just feel that, yeah, I think it's a, something he's going to have to, to to think about. Because I think if he does leave, then the FA are probably going to have to look for someone from abroad if that makes sense because I don't know the English managers you know we were doing a watch along yesterday and someone was put on the spot saying we should have an English manager and they said Steve Cooper because what he did with the under 17s you know what's he done you know I know he's done well to get Forrest up but when you start mentioning names like Steve Cooper it shows you that there's not that many English successful managers around at the minute so yeah I'll have to wait and see what happens with that one Rob what's your take on this because there is a conversation to be had and I agree with Jay I think the FA, to an extent, will leave it in Southgate's own hands. I personally don't see him stepping away. I think if if he is removed from his position or England go for a new manager, the, the drive will come from the FA. But qualification for Euro 24 starts pretty quickly. March, and it's a condensed uh, set of games. It runs all the way through to November. It's not strung across 12 months or 18 months as, as other campaigns are. And then the tournament just comes quickly back round. There are options on the table, as Jay said, but there is also this story of it, it needs to be an English manager. I, I don't think a lot of people agree with that because then when you list off the names of some of the England managers, none of them are really individuals that you get too excited about. Do you do you think England stick with Southgate as it is or do you think they will look to, to change tact? Well, I'm not going to sit on the fence about this. I think Gareth Southgate should be sacked. So, and the reason why I think that is because we're looking at the technical aspects of the England team and why they've failed. So, I, I, I'm with Joe what he said there in terms of, I think, the FA of how they are. It's more likely that they'll stick with him. He's got two years of a contract left. Uh, you just said there, Fergal, you know, you don't think Southgate will himself decide to go. I'm not so sure about that. You know, there is a few murmurings under, you know, below the surface that he might have had enough now. He might have felt that he's taken his team far enough. But I think then you've got to think about what's next for Southgate. As I just said there, I don't think he'd get a Premier League club. Um, again, we talk about nationality and we talk about coaching. Um, the only two English managers I think it would be viable would be Eddie Howe and Graham Potter. Both of those guys are tied up on big contracts. There's no way England could tempt them at this moment of time. But you've got a unique opportunity to go and get one of the two elite coaches out there in Thomas Tuchel and Mauricio Pochettino. So I think, again, we talk maybe in this country about, you know, we just said jingoism and nationalism on one thing or another. There's a lot of England fans that just do 
not want a non-English manager running the team, and that's been a narrative for the long time. But if you're smart, and if you want to go and win a tournament, you go and get the best. And one of those two guys in this situation, they are far superior coaches to Gareth Southgate. And I think that's where it is. You know, would you play Harry Kane or, or play a player, you know, much worse than him because, you know, he just kind of fits what you think of a footballer? You know, you've got to go with the best, haven't you, every time? So there's always this debate, I think, around England and international football. But I think the time has come now for England to get an elite coach that can take this set of players. And let's be honest, it's a fabulous set of players. It's the best England squad I can really remember pound for pound in terms of talent take that talent and make it more Mm, it's going to be an interesting couple of months ahead for England but for now England's road in Qatar has come to an end but the tournament itself carries on into the last four stage it is not over until the final whistle big big games coming in midweek Argentina up against Croatia and France after they put England to the sword take on Morocco fantastic performance from Morocco yesterday overshadowed a bit by England against France but they knocked out Portugal to become the first African side to reach a World Cup semi-final we're going to be looking at both of those games after the break Football's Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are in World Cup mode. England are out, but... The tournament powers on into the last four phase. France against Morocco and Croatia against Argentina. Rob, we're going to talk about Croatia first because grit, class, everything you need in a World Cup. Croatia have got it in bucket loads. Another 120 minutes and another penalty shootout and another win for uh, Luka Modric and co. Brazil knocked out. Just reward for Croatia. We, you know, we talked about England before the break and balance and how you mentally adjust yourself in difficult situations. Brazil score through Neymar, fantastic goal in extra time. Nobody flinches. Bruno Petkovic gets his first goal, I think, in nearly two years for the national team. They go to penalties and they never look like losing. And penalty shootouts, people think it's a lottery. People think it's just, you know, a toss of a coin. They're arguably the strongest team now in extra time and in penalties. And Argentina up next and then possibly even another final for them. They will have no fear about extra time and penalties again. 
Absolutely. Now, we were just talking, weren't we, about bravery with England and about the merits of it. And I think when you look at Croatia, the, the bravery of their decision making and the bravery of how they approach the game is exactly why they're in the semis again. Like They're not a great side, but they have players that can make a difference. Modric is still dancing around, showing that he can, he can be the player that he's always been somehow, even in his latter years. Uh, and, and you wouldn't put it past Croatia now. You know, I don't think I'd have ever tipped them to get to the last four again and you know, now on the verge of a final. But uh, I think, again, Brazil, England, you know, all of these nations that have got high expectations, Portugal as well as we'll talk about. Uh, to get over the hump, you need a little bit more than just talent. And I think when you've got Croatia, you know, they could win this tournament now with two nil-nil draws and a penalty shootouts. Uh, and that would be, you know, one of the biggest surprises of all time. But uh, uh, I think they, they deserve huge credit because I think everyone felt that Brazil were going to go through in that match. But Croatia showed that they still very much the wild card in international football. On the flip side, Jay, they take on Argentina, who instead of being calm, measured, resilient, balanced were absolutely crazy against the Netherlands. A record, I think it was 17 yellow cards in the end. There was a couple of scraps. There was a 2-0 lead. There was a Burnley striker scoring to equalise for the Netherlands. Then there was another scrap. Then there was extra time. Then there was penalties. Then there was Otamendi goading the Dutch players. Then there was another scrap. Then Messi had a go at Van Gaal. This was wild stuff. But Argentina are through to the final. They have to calm themselves down before they face Croatia. But the, the narrative, the story, the fairy tale for Messi, it does continue. Uh, they've got a big test against Croatia, obviously, but it, it looks like it could still be on board. Yeah, I mean, definitely it was, it was such a, a, a crazy game that I was, I was on the train coming back from London and, and watching it on, sort of piling around someone's phone. I had it on his phone on the train, we're watching it. And the sort of the last sort of 10 minutes, whatever, or even the last sort of, half hour with the penalties as well like you're saying like, I think loads of, a couple of them get people get booked during the penalties which is just it's not often you see that to be honest with you like, like the fact you said there as well a lad from Burnley getting getting the goals as well it was um, yeah it was it was all happening but you know that's working for them it's gotten to the semi-finals they have had a, like a bit of a an odd campaign haven't they Argentina obviously was it Saudi Arabia game that they lost and um he rang in a load of changes as well, didn't he? And then sort of, you know, there's all this narrative, oh, is it's Messi still got it? And then he starts popping up with goals and stuff. Um, and then this this game where, the, like you say, the kicking off with, with the opposition, the goal in the opposition, people are saying, oh, it's all a bit distasteful or whatever. But whatever gets you over the line and, and listen, you know, people have been moaning about the, the Argentinian style of play or the way they get matches won since 1986. It, they won't care about that. They'll only care about whether they're going to win the World Cup. And I think they've got a very good chance because they've got some good players. I just worry that, or if I was, you know, I don't worry, but if I cared, I'd worry that sometimes this craziness, for want of a better word, will only get you so far and you, you come a bit unstuck. And I think they might have to, as you just said there, just temper it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the other semi-final, Croatia against Argentina is on Tuesday and then on Wednesday, Rob, is France against Morocco. We've obviously talked about France. We'll, we'll throw them into the conversation with Morocco, but it's very, very important that we look at the achievement of Morocco in getting to the semi-final. The big headline, obviously, is they're the first African nation to reach a last four place at a World Cup. But even within their own national team history, it, it's very hard to kind of miss some of the previous records. They've only ever got to the knockouts once and they've beaten that and beaten that again 
to get into the semi-final. And the stat that keeps jumping out to me, five World Cup games, they've got comfortably the best defensive record. They've conceded just one goal, and that was an own goal. No, no opposition player has scored against them in five World Cup games. That is absolutely incredible. People are not giving Morocco the credit they deserve. So obviously they've knocked out two big teams here, but they were good before the World Cup and they're still a really good team now. And I just think that they're so defensively sound and can hit you on the counter-attack. When you look through their team, they're littered with talented, quick players that can really do you a lot of damage. So I'm not really surprised to see them in the last four. And of course, now when you're in this situation in the semi-finals, anyone can win it. And could they be the first African winners? I, I think that's on the table. You know, they are a good side. And, you know, we talked about France there in England. I don't think France are anywhere near the standard that they were four years ago. You know, I tipped France to win the World Cup in 2018. I look at them now and I'm certainly not anywhere near as confident when you look at their starting 11. Outside of Mbappe, I think they've got holes. So I think that unless they really play at their highest level, Morocco could cause a huge shock in this semi-final. Well, strangely, despite the fact that we talked about England-France before the break, Jay, we didn't really talk about France all that much. So Morocco on the horizon in the semi-final for Didier Deschamps, they're defending champions. Rob is right, they're, they're maybe not as complete or certainly as, as solid as they were in 2018, but they've got their forward players maybe in better form. Mbappe, for me, is, is better than he was in Russia. Antoine Griezmann's been excellent. Olivier Giroud still proving that he can get those important goals. And, and Shurmeni coming into midfield. I know from 2018 there's no Pogba and there's no Kante, but Shurmeni's done a, a brilliant job in Qatar so far. Last night was a bit of a muscle flex, I think, for France, particularly being England, the rivalry that exists and the status that winning that game holds. Morocco will be a really difficult challenge for them, but France do look to be just hitting a bit of steam and they've got so much quality. I mean, yeah, on, on paper, you know, you, you'd, you'd fancy France, wouldn't you? Obviously, like you're saying, they've, 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 there's, there's the Mbappe factor. There's also the fact that, you know, Giroud scoring goals. Dembele, I know he wasn't great against England, but I think he's had a decent tournament. I've been sort of mildly surprised at him because I was never, I was always a bit on the fence with him. Um, and they've had other players who've stepped up as well. I think, you know, Rob made a point earlier, France have got quite a few players who probably won't get in the, the England team, and I agree with that. But some of them do a sort of a, a pretty effective job for, for France. And, you know, when I look at sort of Rabiot, for example, he was linked with United, I wasn't that, that enamoured of that, that link. But, you know, he's, he's done, he's another one who's done, he's been effective in this tournament. So, France have, have the better team, but the, there's something going on with Morocco, isn't there? They're the getting these results. The, 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 the defence is absolutely solid. Even when they... Was it the, the kid went off... Um, was it Romain Sace? I'm sorry, I forgive me, I forget his name wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, he went off yesterday and then the, I think he went off... Was it quite early as well? Um, or, you know, there was still quite a bit to play and, he, you know, they, they still kept a clean sheet. The, 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 the sort of, they have that unit, they have a system that works for them. They don't have loads of possession. That's not their thing. But, I mean, that's an understatement. I think they had about sort of 25% possession or something against Portugal. But all that matters is the result and they're winning, they're winning matches. So I think it'd be great to see someone like Morocco in the final. I really do. It'd be a great sort of narrative and a great story. But... You know, it's, I think it is going to be very, very difficult for them. And while they have got some good results, you look at Portugal, for example. Portugal are a good team. I think France are much, much better than Portugal. I'll be honest with you. So, yeah, that that is a real difficult one for them. But 
who knows this World Cup's thrown up a few surprises and there could be another one on the rise. And as Rob was saying about, you know, the Croatia game as well, you know, once you're in the semi-final, anything can happen. I'm going to ask you for some predictions in just a second, but just uh, scrambling around when Jay was talking about Morocco's possession stats, I'm just going to fire them at you before we do the predictions because they are absolutely wild. So Morocco nil, Croatia nil, 35% possession. Belgium nil, Morocco two, 33% possession. Canada won. That was the only goal, as I said before, they conceded. Morocco two, a, a, a dizzying height of 41% possession. Morocco nil, Spain nil, Morocco win on penalties, 23% possession. <laughs> and then obviously yesterday, Morocco won, Portugal nil, 26% possession. You don't need the ball. You just need... <laughs> I don't know what they need. You, they, they're proving that you don't need the ball to win a game. That's that's a crazy, crazy way of, uh, of, of going about it. You don't need the ball to win the game. Um, right, predictions, Rob. We, uh, we're in the final straight of the World Cup 2022, the semi-final stage. Give it to us. Argentina, Croatia, who wins? Well, Argentina have been my tip since before the tournament to win the tournament. And I felt that even when they lost in the group stages, I thought, no, they can still go on here. So for me, it's Argentina into the final. Okay. And then France against, don't take the ball, don't take the ball, give the opposition the ball, Morocco. Who wins that one? We are going to have our first African finalist. So uh, I know that we just talked about France. I actually think France are not that good. You know, I know they've got players that can do it and can cut the mustard and Mbappe and all of that. But I don't think that they're actually that much better than Portugal or Spain. And Morocco have shown that if you played counter-attack against a possession side, you can beat them. So I look at Morocco, I think that they can take France. And I don't think France are in the best vein of form in this tournament, even though they've been comfortable. And then the big one next Sunday... Lionel Messi's Argentina against Morocco. It's Messi, isn't it? It's going to be his World Cup. I think it's written in the stars for him now in this his whole debate about Messi versus Ronaldo. I think Argentina, of before the tournament, incredible form, kind of 34 games unbeaten, come into the, the tournament with, with genuine aspirations to win it. And I think they've settled now. And I actually think that, you know, they like a good scrap. They showed that in the last game against the Dutch. Um, if they get into matches here where, where it turns into that, then you've got Messi as the kind of cherry on the cake. So I think it's going to be Lionel Messi's tournament and I think Argentina are going to win it. Uh, Jay, before we wrap up, let's get your call. Argentina, Croatia. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably fancy Argentina for that one. I do. I think that even though you know there has been a bit of chaos going on with the Argentinian team, um, and Croatia look a little, little bit more settled and organised, I just I think yeah, I think Argentina should get over the line there. I think they've still got a lot of quality there, and you know it's it's working for them what what they're doing, and I think like there is the messy factor as well so I think that'll be close but I'm just just about going to pip for Argentina on that one and then France Morocco are you going to be as bold as Rob no I slightly I slightly disagree with Rob a little bit on this one I think France are a better team than Portugal um, and I just think France yes I get it like they have got some players who aren't all that but I also think that, yeah, you know, whilst the focus is on Mbappe, the likes of Giroud and, and, and Dembele and Griezmann, they're just effective for France. They do what you need to do. And I think they, they might, Morocco might struggle against it. I would love to see Morocco in the final. I would. I think it'd be a great story. But I think, yeah, I just think it might be a, a game too far for Morocco. So I'm going to go with France. And then the big one next Sunday, defending champions against 
fairy tale champions, Messi against Mbappe. How does that go down? If that happens, I'd, I'd, I'd probably love to see Argentina win it, just because I, I, I absolutely love Lissandro Martinez that much. I'm also I'm almost a, an Argentina fan, but I think if the, if it is those two teams, I can see France retaining it for the first time in however many years a, a team's done that. Is it like Brazil in '62 or something? Um, I think yeah, I think that could happen. And I think the one good thing about that is that happens. That'd be like a ri- ridiculous for Kylian Mbappe to win what is it two World Cups by the age of 23. I think that'd be really something special, um, but yeah, it's it's it, again. I don't want to keep saying it, but it's true. It's it's so close. It'd be difficult to call, but I just about go for France on that one. I had a, a feeling for a second there, Jay. You were going to say your immortal line of "I don't want to make it about Manchester United," and then I was thinking, how is he going to make France winning the World Cup about Manchester United? But knowing you, Jay, well, yeah, I could, be I could an angle. say there you know what? An angle there if, if France if France win, then obviously it's down to Raphael Varane. And in, which is in turn is down to Eric Ten Hag because of his coaching. So, you know, technically United have won the World Cup. Technically, yeah. I was just trying to think, how is he going to work an angle? Is he going to go way back and like if United yeah, had to like, sign Cantona from Leeds, that wouldn't have triggered this and Claire Fontaine and Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, France, uh, you're welcome uh, to, uh, to Manchester United. Right, that's the picks for the World Cup final. We will be back midweek previewing the semi-finals. Argentina, Croatia, France, Morocco and then next weekend, the big one, the World Cup final. Who will it be? If you hit subscribe, you can keep up to date on all of the bits that we're doing for the World Cup, building up to the final. And then the day job, the bread and butter, the Premier League, the Carabao Cup, everything is back in motion later this month. So as always, keep listening, hit subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. And uh, don't forget to uh, give us a follow. Jay, Rob, on a Sunday morning, a disappointing and difficult morning for England. But football rolls on and the Premier League is, is just around the corner. Rob, thanks very much. Cheers very much. Thank you very much. Jay, nice one as always. Yeah, it's always nice to come on here when I'm not talking about United getting beat. It makes a nice change. Yeah, uh, and I'll sign off with this. It's nice to have Jay on not talking about United getting beat, but he always manages to talk about United. Whatever the subject, he always manages to uh, to crowbar them in. Uh, but that's it for the Football Social Daily. Thanks for listening and we will catch you very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.